Welcome to Jaipur Bites, the JLF podcast. I'm your host, Lakshtata. What you're about to hear in this episode is a live recording of a session that took place at the Z Jaipur Literature Festival 2020 in January at the Digi Palace. Here it is. Long years ago we made our tryst with democracy and it seems providential that today 70 years later here we are talking about democracy in all its chaotic shambolic um, energetic avatars uh, uh, and even all its flaws and it uh, again seems providential that 70 years after adopting our constitution we seem to be testing the resilience of our democracy through the protests we see in shahi that started in shahin bagh and have now i believe spread to 70 there are 70 or 80 shahin baghs happening in this country uh, today and it is not uncoincidental that these protests are being led by women women <laughs> might not be out of place to inject a slightly cautionary note can these protests be sustained look at what happened to the arab spring right so we will be talking a little bit about that i hope also that we will be talking about the economist cover story and there will be people who say are who cares about the economist who cares for the foreign media they are professional pessimists they can't see anything nice about our country but it is as a citizen of this country i am alarmed that india should be on the cover of this influential weekly the headline is intolerant india how modi is endangering the world's biggest democracy <laughs> separately separately in davos george soros commented and these are his words not mine on the frightening setback in india where a democratically elected narendra modi is creating a hindu nationalist state you may agree you may disagree these are personal opinions but just days earlier the economist intelligence unit which measures 167 countries on five grounds electoral process and pluralism functioning of government political participation democratic political culture and civil liberties recorded a decline of 10 places for india and keep in mind the previous year there was already a decline of 10 points so 10 plus 10 in two years we've slid 20 points and we used to be amongst the top 100 we are now in the bottom 100 So without any further ado I am a very excited by my young and energetic uh, panel the cliche goes they need no introduction and they have been introduced to you so without any further ado let's I'd like to start with you Sachin and I want to ask you really what do you think about the ongoing protests on CAA and NRC what are the issues at stake here this is not the first time that india or parts of india are seeing <clears throat> sustained 
very spirited protests. And this protest really is, I think, a culmination of many developments that happened in New Delhi. Enacting of the law, CA is one of them. Uh, last few months, few years, if I dare say, there have been certain postures taken by those who are running this country that seems counterintuitive to the sentiment of social harmony, uh, brotherhood, and all the values and ethos that our constitution propounds. What's happening, not just in campuses and universities and colleges across India, but also on many political, non-political fronts. And people say that protests are a, a very positive sign that our democracy is robust and alive, which is fair. But the problem is that once you have these protests, traditionally in the last seven decades, we'd had some sort of reaching out and interaction to say, why are young people aggrieved? Why are you annoyed? Let's sit and talk. We may not find a solution tonight, but we'll engage, we'll debate, we'll discuss, and we'll come up with a way forward. And our democracy, frankly speaking, has thrived because there has never been a lack of dialogue. What's happening today, I think, is there is absolute, forget about desire, no inclination, and no one is forcing the hand of those who run the country that they should at least reach out and engage people. You can talk to your worst enemies, but you can't talk to people who are your citizens, who are your voters, who have supported you. I mean, there's a reason why the BJP got 303 seats in India, is because a lot of people voted for the BJP. I think they're morally, constitutionally, and socially bound by the fact that they need to speak and reach those people who really feel alienated. It's not about religion, it's not about caste, it's not about language, whatever your grievances. When you say I'm a democratically elected government, that means even those who didn't vote for me, I'm responsible to you, I'm accountable to you. That's really broadly the sense. But I, frankly, I have been in government now for about a year in Rajasthan. I've been in government, in, in parliament, in the, in the federal government. And I have faced, I have faced criticism, I've faced protests, because not everything I do will please everybody. So there'll be a section that's upset. And in our setup, it's very, it's okay to go and sit on a dharna. I have taken out dharnas, I've protested, I've get out the assembly, I've faced a lati charge, I've gone to jail. But I always felt that you can speak and you can find a way forward. But when there is a, there's a wall where you decide that more you agitate, better it is for me, then there is no incentive for the person to engage. And I think the problem is there. That's why this long-drawn stalemate is happening. It's not healthy, I think, because such a prolonged, sustained, continuous protest across the country argues in a not a very positive light, at least for the young people. And they really are the future. All of us say that we work for young people, but these protests, I think, would really, I think they will meet their desired objectives if everyone started talking to them, address the issues, and we'll probably help come up with a solution. Correct. If I can just ask you a quick follow-up question. And yes, I agree that there has not been engagement by the government, but a lot of people are saying, where is the opposition party? Where is the Congress? Where is Rahul Gandhi? You've... Well, I, you know, it sounds very, very... Um, no, no, opportunistic, that was not a cheap shot. It was no, a genuine no, 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 but I'm saying look at the timing of it. Rahul Gandhi is actually coming a day after to Jaipur. That's one. Let's tell you where he is. And the problem I face is that when we were in government, UPA government, and all of you will remember this, anything that happened in the country, UPA to blame, Manmohan Singh to blame, Congress to blame, fine, that lasted. Five years later, we had a new government. Today, lots of things are going wrong. And you're still asking the Congress party, why is this happening, why is that happening? <laughs> I, I dare say you should ask those people 
we'll come to your program and then you can discuss with us. Right, but you know, even when the JNU, um, when, when goons uh, went, ran, ran amok in JNU, it was Priyanka Gandhi who went to Ames to meet the students who had been beaten up and had their heads split open. So it's not an unreasonable question to ask because every democracy is tested by the strength of its opposition. So, which is why I'm asking you. The Congress party is the principal opposition party. Our numbers are quite small in parliament as all of you know. I think the Congress party is doing what it can. Is it enough for you and everybody else? The jury is out. But I believe that whatever I've been asked, because by the way, I'm the Congress party president in Rajasthan. Yes. And whatever I believe as a party we should do, we are doing, perhaps not to the satisfaction of most people. But generally speaking, the opposition is doing what it can. But look at the circumstances. Look at how you're operating. Look at what is happening to everybody who's in opposition. Either you are served notices, or you send to jail, or you go on a bail, or there's a threat, or there's a CBI, or an ED, or an income tax, so on and so forth. Not to say that that should deter you. But the environment and the ecosystem in which we're expected to operate is not what it was when, let's say, when Mr. Bajpayee was Prime Minister of India. So things have changed, which is not to say that it is up to other political parties or NGOs or students to make, you know, uh, uh, play the role of an opposition. We are duty-bound, like, like I said earlier, to be an effective opposition. If you all think that, and you especially Namita, feel that we haven't done enough, we'll try and do more. Thank you. Thank you. Rajdeep, I know you were in Shaheen Bagh several days ago, and I know you've been going to the protests. My question is, because I, I've not been able to get an answer, are the people who are protesting are they anti-BJP, anti-right-wing, anti-Modi people anyway? Or are you seeing new converts? Is there a shifting stance? Is there a changing mood? Thank you very much, uh, Namita. He's the young man, I'm the energetic person. Okay. Uh, so I'm, I'm both. Gonna, I'm, I'm both. Great, I'm going to wear on this very special day the great flag of this great country. You know, we need to reclaim our republic, not through a flag. Not necessarily by wearing a flag or standing up for the national anthem in a cinema But we need to reclaim the republic by reclaiming the values for which this republic stands. This is not a battle about Rahul Gandhi, Narendra Modi. Are Rahul Gandhi, Narendra Modi, aate rahenge, jate rahenge, ye desh bana rahenge. We are, we are much too focused. We are much too focused on individuals in this country. This country stood for certain values. When today, achievement, and I'm going beyond Shaheen Bagh only to say, don't even look at Shaheen Bagh. For God's sake, look at democratic institutions. There's a chief minister of a state today whose photograph I saw six months in, in detention without any attempt being made by the Supreme Court of this country to even hear the habeas corpus petition of life and liberty. And the best response I'll get is what Nehru ji ke zamane mein yehi hua tha, uh, uh, Sheikh Abdullah ke saath. I am living in 2020. This is a young India which has never lived under Jawaharlal Nehru. This is a young India which is living under the India of the 21st century. And I think in Shaheen Bagh, in other places, you are finding different anxieties expressing themselves. Let's be honest, a predominant, in my view, who are leading uh, Shaheen Bagh are women, yes, but also members of the minority community. They feel a sense of fear. 
Now, who is going? If Amit Shah can go all across Delhi to communicate Citizenship Amendment Act, what stops him from going to Shaheen Bagh, the greatest Indian, the greatest Indian that the 20th century threw up was Mahatma Gandhi. You know what he'd have done? He'd have gone and sat within Shaheen Bagh and listened. I agree with Sachin Pilot. There is nobody here today to listen. The greatness of this country came through dialogue. And I think what is happening, Namita, is the absence of a dialogue. Those voices in Shaheen Bagh are perhaps eventually going to get silenced. They will fade away. Elections will happen. But the anxieties will remain. The big headline, according to me, today is not Shaheen Bagh, but the fact, as I just saw in, the, in a leading Hindi daily, 3.74 crore jobs have been lost in the last five years in seven sectors alone. You know, those are the issues we should be debating. Those are the issues we should be... It's not going to be about Congress versus BJP. It's not as if Sachin Pilot's party comes to, uh, to town and things will change. But that, plus democratic institutions. Supreme Court, Namita, notice board. Amit Shah comes and says, Article 370 scrap, no consultation, Supreme Court notice board. Uh, sorry, a parliament notice board goes to parliament and says that Article 370 scrapped without consultation. Parliament is a notice board. Supreme Court does not discuss issues of life and liberty. Then you've got the executive, where the finance minister of the country is not present at meetings with economists and with industrialists ahead of the budget. Then you've got an opposition, which is completely today bankrupt of ideas and leadership and an organization. Then you've got the media, which is a complete surrogate to those in power. I concede that large sections of the media raise questions more of the opposition than they do of the government. You've got the armed forces, where army chiefs are acting today like political warriors. I mean, it never happened and they get rewarded by becoming the chief of defense staff. You've got the Reserve Bank of India. Two governors lost their jobs because they questioned the government. You don't have a chief information commissioner in this country at the moment. These are the issues we should debate. As I said, Rahul Gandhi, Narendra Modi are not what the democracy index is about. Democracy is about institutions. It's about values. And I believe both values and institutions today are in serious danger. Democracy is in recession. We keep talking about economic recession. We are creeping into an elected autocracy where democracy is in recession. That's what should anger us. Rajdeep, you just answered all 10 of the questions I had for you. <laughs> I'm learning. You see, in TV now I've learned that mic I'm becoming a neta, sort of. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, no, sort of. Okay. Uh, before I come back to Sachin uh, on institutions, I want to ask you, you said this is not about individuals. And yet your book, uh, uh, How Modi Won India, is very much about a new kind of politics, the kind of politics that Sachin's father would not have recognized, which is run by marketing whiz kids in back rooms somewhere, uh, brand Modi, brand Rahul, etc. So it is about the individual. How do you get away from that? Sure, I think that's a completely fair question. I think across the world there is this hunger for a superhero, this political strongman who's going to fix the system. 
Mr. Modi is there at the right place at the right time. And let's not only call it about marketing. Let's be fair. Mr. Modi has emerged in a milieu which I believe has over the last 25 years, identity politics has become more and more important. You look at yourself, number of voters see themselves as Hindus first, Muslims first, Dalits first, Yadavs first. And Mr. Modi has been able to capture a certain template of a, of a new India. You cannot run away from that. My point is that that doesn't necessarily mean that the individual alone is responsible for what we see around us. There is a Modi model across this country. In state after state you go. If you speak out against a Mamta Banerjee, you can be jailed. If you speak out against a Naveen Patnaik, you could get into prison. I don't know about Ashok Gelot and Sachin Pilot. Uh, maybe Rajasthan is a bit better. But in general, we are seeing the emergence of these autocratic leaders. And Mr. Modi is part of that phenomenon. As I mentioned in the book, money, media, the machine is a very, very, uh, it, it, it is hugely uh, intimidating and it invisibilizes the opposition. That's what's happening in this country. In the 2019 elections, eventually it became about the Timo factor. There is Modi only. Aayega to Modi hi. And you were able, and, and that was the BJP's success, not just marketing. It reflects on the bankruptcy of the opposition. I keep saying this, Rahul Gandhi has never missed an opportunity to miss an opportunity. But forget him for a moment. Forget him for a moment. Forget him. That, you know, that gets you the applause. The real question is, are Indians going to start voting for individuals irrespective of whether that individual truly represents the values of the republic? I think that's the question we should ask. When a prime minister asks people to... Uh, says protesters can be defined by their clothes when he speaks the language of Shamshan Ghat and Kabristan. Ask yourselves in your quieter moments when you don't see yourself as a Hindu and a Muslim, is this the kind of leadership that a new India wants? Ask yourself this question and then give the answer. And to that extent, I was forced to write this book because he won the election. By playing the politics of the strongman, but also playing the politics of deceit and deception. To give you an example, Mani Shankar Ayer called Modi a niche admi. The Prime Minister turned it into niche jati ka admi. The Prime Minister called his former Prime Minister Manmohan Singh a traitor for meeting the former Prime Minister, a former Foreign Minister of Pakistan at a meeting at which several diplomats were present. Is this the kind of India we want? Do we want to have a toxic India where we call anyone who disagrees with us anti-national, Pakistan chale jao, tukde tukde. The problem is Pakistan Airlines doesn't have enough visas for all of us to go to Pakistan. And do you really want to compare? You know, we talk about the democracy index. We talk of the democracy index, Namita. Are we really going to compare ourselves to Pakistan in 2019 or 2020? We should aspire to much higher values. Rajdeep, Rajdeep has also now answered all my reserve questions. So, <laughs> I'm going to switch off his mic. Yeah. I want to come to you. Sachin, I think something that Rajdeep said... What I'm going to do is, I'm going to call Mr. Puri, the owner uh, of India today, and uh, tell him that Rajdeep may be looking at something else besides journalism. <laughs> 
Sachin, I want you to answer this question because it is a serious question and it comes up again and again. That give or take a few years, the Congress has been in power in this country for nearly 60 years. What was stopping the Congress from building institutions that were strong enough to have withstood the erosion and the onslaught that they are under? Amit, I think you're being unfair. The fact that the Congress party was in power for a long time was because every five years, these very same people voted for the Congress party. And the institutions, by the way, survived for six and a half decades because of people governing them. Never did you see the Election Commission or the RBI or the Supreme Court of India or the armed forces, like Rajdeep said, interfering in, in television debates, making comments. You think Rajiv Gandhi had 400 plus MPs. He could have read it in the whole constitution. He didn't do that. Indira Gandhi had clear majority. It depends on how, see, you judge a person by the things he or she does when they have the power, not before that. I want to make a very quick point about democracy. One and brought think, in the emergency, the other brought in the defamation bill. But emergency, so please, but let please me tell you, do not, but Rajdeep, I, the Congress party you, and I, You prepared the ground for the rise of Narendra Modi by opening the gates of the Babri Masjid. And, and in a way, that's the honest truth. Ra Rajdeep. You allowed no, that decade It's of very years. easy to go in hindsight and blame everybody except look unto yourself. The Babri Masjid issue led to the rise of LK Advani. Today, who is in Margdarshan Mandal? He's nowhere in sight. Mr. Bajpay became Prime Minister. Nothing happened. It's all very well to sit in a studio to talk at people. This crowd here is not the average voting people of India. They can all cheer for you and me. But let's be real. Electoral politics has its own nuances. And unless you fight the battle with the way everybody else is fighting the battle, you will not be in contention. You can get cheers, you can get clapping, but you will not be able to rule and govern. And only when you are in the mainstream, it's okay to pass comments. It's okay to pass judgments. I think it's a free country. And Namita, just to, I'm deviating just a little bit. One second. Democracy, right? Your first sentence. Holding, conducting, and winning elections is not democracy. We have democracies in Singapore, in Russia, in Turkey, even in Pakistan. Voting for people is not democracy. Feeling like a part of the government is democracy. When you feel that this is my, this is my ruling elite, I am part of that person. You could be in Mizoram, in Pondicherry, in Kargil or in Gujarat. You feel this is my country, I can vote you out. The power that you are stronger, bigger and more influential than the government itself. That individual power that you have as a voter, that is democracy. Our roots of democracy in India are very, very strong. Rajiv, I don't think one act, one government or one leader can actually even touch the roots of a democracy. It has taken 70 years to rebuild this. 1952, when we had our first elections, the Western world said, India cannot be democracy. Democracy is for educated people. You have to read and write. We had symbols for our election campaigns. In 52, we proved adult franchise universally for everybody. We proved to the entire world that we can be democratic 65 years ago. In 2020, forget democracy. We want quality of leadership. We want people to look at issues. We want empathy. We want compassion. We want accountability. And believe me, people of India are smarter than you and me on the stage. They will do the right thing when the time comes. But people have given somebody the mandate. It's our job to make that person, that government accountable. And you know, you talked about money, machine. What is the third M that you used? Muscle. Muscle. Media. And media. <laughs> the only good thing Rajdeep did is he mentioned the word media after talking about me and Rahul Gandhi, he redeemed himself. Because there is certain accountability on the fourth pillar of our democracy. So you can have the muscle, you can have the media, you can have the machine, whatever it is. It is ultimately the individual who presses the button. People did not press the button of the BJP in Jharkhand. Why? In Delhi, BJP will not win that election. Why? 
it is the wisdom of the voter you can't blame money and machine muscle it's individuals it's what you see is how you reflect and how you vote ultimately we are all responsible and by the way last point people get the government they deserve let's be clear about it so don't now cheer for rajdeep and me and don't clap it, i mean people vote for people that they elect there's no two ways about it and then you can say where is congress party what is rahul gandhi doing what is rajiv sardar sir doing but we all elected the people that are governing governing a country today right right peace clap <laughs> there is a global trend and actually by the way the people did speak also in 77 so to to add on to rajdeep's point about the emergency the people gave their verdict and rajdeep i have to complain now not only have you used up all my questions you're taking over my job as moderator so <laughs> okay um, there is a global trend for alpha muscular leadership right whether it's putin in russia or trump in america or our current republic day chief i, I don't even want to talk about him bolsonaro and i and no matter what rajdeep may say about not being about the individuals it is we live in an age of celebrityhood you know the kardashians are celebrities and so we're looking for the same kind of celebrity in our politics you spoke about the a kind of leadership you know and the fact of the matter is that for young people there are no role models in terms of political leadership what do you have to say about that there is no vacuum in politics if i think that i am the repository of all wisdom then i'm fooling myself if i don't perform and deliver as people expect me to deliver i will be booted out and that's a fact of life and leadership will evolve there is i think a great sense amongst young people who are now taking on leadership roles across india i travel a lot in rajasthan i see young sarpanches zila parishad members mayors corporators ward members and they contest elections at age 21 22 23 it didn't happen 25 years ago so there is always a but you know namita it's not about leadership won't develop in a vacuum right you have to handhold i am now 42 years old i've been in this job for 20 years public life if i don't help train guide handhold people who are younger than me tell them all my experiences where i've succeeded and failed then that's the job of every politician in any party that you have to have a new leadership evolve over time it's not easy it's a very tough country and state to understand to govern and to really you know uh, relate to it takes years and years so we have got to keep developing new leadership unfortunately one the society wants something else i want to project something else there is no meeting of minds but political leadership i think i can tell you with all the confidence at my disposal there is no dearth of good leaders in this country but i across hope... parties you will see them evolving new names are coming up every few 5 7 10 years and with time you will have much more people with conviction with principles with good education with clean background and we got to support those people you don't just keep liking their tweets you have to go and vote for those people and that's how you get good leadership in the state and nationally right i hope your party is listening to this because uh, your party doesn't seem to believe in promoting young leaders and where and where in the bjp uh, you know leaders like advani are being sent off you know to uh, out to pasture really there's no kind of way, way to put it i mean your party just seems fixated with being the grand old party i'll pass this one i want comment this one as <laughs> rajiv speak rajiv you want to comment on it look i said in the book and i do believe the bjp is a more 21st century ready party 
you've got to accept that. They've been able to understand the zeitgeist. One of the interesting things is, you know, in, in, our, in our statistics we found, young people were more inclined to vote for Narendra Modi, in fact, than older people. Uh, and it was interesting that Mr. Modi, who's 70, was able to relate much more to the younger generation in whatever way he did, whether he was on Facebook, whether he was on Twitter, whether he was even on TikTok. He even does TikTok videos. I mean, I was amazed to see these TikTok videos that the BJP sort of social media machine puts out. But either way, he was ready to speak the language of the young in terms of an aspirational India. And the Congress, which has a younger leadership, was disconnected with those very young. And I think we have to start recognizing this. There is a new India with this is the most aspirational society, Namita, in the history of mankind. More aspirational than United States at its peak. Every young Indian just wants a better life for his and her daughter and son. Now, if you are not going to address that critical question, Mr. Modi may be the dream merchant. He's selling a dream. Five trillion economy, uh, you know, the dream may not be realized, but it's a dream. At least he's selling a, a story. He's a great storyteller. His own life is a great story. Let's be fair. To come from Vadnagar and go where he went is a remarkable story. It's, the, it's what I call the Dhoniization of India. Mahendra Singh Dhoni is so attracted to so many young people because of his life story. You cannot be part of the privileged elite today in India and talk down to Indians. You've got to connect with Indians. And far too many people in our political life don't do that. You've got to speak a language which is bereft of entitlement. You know, my father and grandfather's generation, you could get away with it. Today's generation, Namita, democracy requires you to treat every Indian citizen with respect. And one of the reasons why I think the Modi model, or Mo Shah model as I now call it, is struggling, is because they are doing this, committing the same mistakes that the Congress did in the 70s under Indira. You become so arrogant with power, you get so consumed by your own sense of invincibility that you forget, ye janta hai, inhone aapko vote diya. Ye man ki baat nahi chalegi, jan ki baat ab maybe sometimes, maybe sometimes the myth making comes to an end. People see through it. It is, and, and you know, that's what's happening. It is happening. a myth. <laughs> so, um, I'm going to ask you, Sachin, about dynasty. Okay, dynasty and democracy. No, 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 don't roll your eyes. I can't ask Rajdeep this question because he's the son of a cricket player and an academic and his children are A, a doctor, B, a lawyer. So he's exempt from the dynasty question. And also question. very quickly, Namita, in yeah. cricket, as I mentioned yesterday, yeah. just because your father played, you can't. In politics, yeah. you certainly can. <laughs> can you, can democracy and dynasty go together? It's now been 20 years I've been answering this question on almost every platform, so I have got the answer almost, you know, I can recite it out. But Rajdeep, you know, it doesn't matter, father and son, just like in cricket, if you don't play your politics well, you'll get clean bowled. If you don't perform, if you don't deliver, if you don't endear yourself to the waters, you can't last. Those days are long gone. You can be anyone's nephew, niece, grandfather, grandson, granddaughter. It may give you recognition, but today's electorate is so sophisticated and they, you know, how many people try and enter public life? How many of them succeed? How many of them sustain themselves? It's not easy because you're A, always compared with your father or grandfather who was in public life. So the bar is quite high as it is. If you don't deliver up to that level, then you will get booted out. I don't know a single person who has succeeded and taken the name higher up without performing. Performance ultimately will deliver. Otherwise, you know, you can get a foot in the door. 
but you can't get elected if you don't perform, maybe once. But two, three, four, five times to keep getting elected, to win people's hearts and minds, you have got to work on the ground. And there is no shortcut to success, whether it's acting, journalism, cricket, or politics. If you don't work hard, you will not get ahead in life. And that, that applies to politics as well. I'm not sure Rajdeep agrees because he had a very skeptical look because there is something called the pocket borough. Where, oh, as, um, I, as I said, Namita, his own party, his leader has never missed an opportunity to miss an opportunity. You know, you become, you are elected by the voters, at least become the leader of the opposition in parliament, sit there in front row and take the question. You don't, when you lose an election, say, go into a sulk and say, Ab main Congress president. Ab main ja raho, hyper. You can't do that. 79-year-old Sharad Pawar in the rains in Maharashtra was addressing rally after rally. That's what makes you a leader. 365, you know, Narendra Modi is not the only karma yogi. Manmohan Singh also used to work hard. So it's not as if Mr. Modi is the only person who goes to sleep at midnight, gets up at five. Number of leaders do, but you've got to do that. You, politics, I think I agree, is the most demanding profession from what I can see from the outside. And I think a number of people, Namita, simply, many of the dinners have lived in their little cozy comforts for much too long. And new India is going to be extremely intolerant with this kind of shortcuts to power. You've got to have a story, you've got to have values, but you've got to also have the skills to stay the course. Patience and stamina is huge for politics. Correct. We saw Amethi uh, and, and Rahul Gandhi having the foresight to contest from a second seat because Amethi was the... My, my uh, only point is again, yeah. let's not bring it to Rahul Gandhi. Let's talk about the democratic institutions. All right. Okay. Uh, Sachin? You know, it's funny. You talk about Rahul Gandhi all the time and then say, let's not talk about Rahul Gandhi. <laughs> no, I was asked a question. First, you demonize Modi and then you say how what a great okay. marketing guy he is. So, you know, he's playing both sides as you can okay. all see, which is fine. Let me also balance this out. Let me balance this out. Rajdeep, I know you talked uh, and you do, you're concerned about the deterioration. Amitha, I'm sorry, India. I need to intervene just for one ah, minute. You know, I heard Rajdeep talk about this comfort zone, home boroughs, bubbles. Ah. Rajdeep ji, I have been in this state as party president for six years and you ask anybody in this state, I have worked tirelessly to make sure that my party is proud of me and I got the Congress back to, back to power, not because of whose son I am, not because of my grandfather or my father. He's not in this world anymore. But I did what my conscience told me to. I so why don't you become the Congress president? I am why the Congress president. Why don't you? No, no. I am the Congress president. No, no, national. Why don't you say, hey, why don't you say let's now. have an open, free, fair election, organizational election for the Congress, and I'm going to contest. Rajdeep, are you advising the Congress party? No, are I'm you not. advising the Congress party? No, Rajdeep, that's an unfair it's so question. Easy, Namita, it's so easy to give advice to challenge people, to get people to clap, but you put yourself in the same shoes and then walk the talk. You talked about people, you know, he talked about dentists have this whole hallowed around them, they have protected. It is with great sacrifice that you are able to maintain the great name your family have left. I am extremely proud of the father I've had. I'm proud to be his son, but I have done everything in my power not to let that name down. And People of the state have rewarded me. You don't want in headlines today or times now to say you're a good guy. I want the voters to say I'm a good guy. And that's what real politics is all about. I agree and I, I, I think that was not a fair question because we're not, it's not our job to advise. I think as journalists we forget. Oh and <laughs> no, why, don't you, why don't you, why don't you, what is that? Okay, okay, okay. Uh, 
Since we are talking about your father, and I knew your father, I began my career when your father was in politics. Uh, what did you learn from him? That was one part. And second part is, what would you have done if not joining politics? Well, my father was alive. I never talked about my joining politics. I was 21 years old, so I was having too much fun to think about joining politics. I was studying my MBA program, and as a son, I would help him campaign like any family member would do. But we never sat down and talked about, you know, he's 53, so there was no question of him retiring. And my grandfather was a Havaldar in the army, so he came from almost nowhere. And we were proud every day of our lives that we had a man who had really worked and got where he got. He was in politics for 19 years. I finished 19 years. I've done like not even 2% of what he did because he came from nothing and got to a position where it, the whole country felt that he was something, someone who could deliver. I, from what I've, 21 years of my life, my father, the one thing I've learned and I've, I've tried to remind myself every, every day is that one must not forget where you come from and who you are. Very often with fame and fortune and a lot of applaud, one tends to think that you are bigger, better, or you know, you're above everybody else. So you have got to be able to be hum have humility in your thinking, not in your fake smiles and your handshakes. You got to feel humble and you got to feel approachable. Someone must be able to approach you directly, no matter how big you are. And if that comfort level comes, and that I've seen him deal, you know, people that he worked with in the Air Force or who are his friends from the village, he would meet them almost as nicely or even better than he would meet high commissioners or ministers or foreign heads of state. That humility and that grounded uh, sense of belonging, I think, really is something I believe that I'm trying to inculcate in my life if I haven't done so already. So, Rajdeep, you began your career at more or less the same time uh, as me, which is when, you know, we, we covered his father. We've, we've met him, we've interacted with him. And I think there's one stark difference between that time and this era, between Rajesh Pilot and Sachin Pilot, and that is the bitter polari polarization that has taken place in politics. The political is now personal. You know, in the old days, your political opponent was not your political enemy. And now it is, it is that point, you know, where, where not just in politics, but I, I see families where they don't want to talk about this side or this side. You're with us, without us. Journalists, journalists, friends, I mean, people breaking off because they're saying you're not with us. I mean, what do you say? And what are the implications of this polarization on democratic values? I think that is a very critical question because families are being divided, neighborhoods are being divided, school WhatsApp groups are being divided uh, between us versus them. This polarization, to my mind, is one of the biggest challenges that democracy faces today. Like it or not, there is a vindictive government at one level in power in this country. The election commissioner, Lavasa, I mean, you, he's gone through all his CRs, he's become election commissioner, he puts one dissent note, the income tax lands at the door of his sister who's been an army doctor all her life. Atish Tasir writes one Time magazine cover, suddenly he's denied his OCI citizenship. I mean, what kind of a, what kind of a low-level, vindictive nature do, leader, do leaders at times demonstrate? So when your leaders polarize, what do you expect people? When leaders talk the language of anti-national, tukde, tukde, shamshan, ghat, kabristan, then what will the So media is also polarized. The media, the media is a... The, right? Hear him out, hear right? him out. The media is polarized, newsrooms mirror what is happening in society. And frankly, I don't want to either demonize Mr. Modi or defy. And that's why I am called a balancer. 
I don't agree with those who demonize Mr. Modi. I don't think that serves any purpose. And I cannot understand this bhakti of one individual. You know, bhakti is the great Ambedkar. Since we are talking of Constitution and Republic Day, he said hero worship is the worst thing. It destroys the devotee and it destroys democracy. It is dangerous. And that's what's happening. Because hero worship, the moment I criticize today, Namita, anyone, I am called anti-national. You're, you know, this language of anti-national, you have now monopolized nationalism to the point where if Sachin Pilot criticizes the government, you know, he will be told, Are, tum to Pakistan ki bhasha bol rahe ho. I don't understand, never before in an Indian election or Indian public life is Pakistan being used so often. We thought it was a failed state. Why are we mimicking a Rajdeep, failed state? And that's Rajdeep, the polarization. The labeling comes from both sides. It comes from the liberal side. And you, you'll remember uh, Ram Chandra Guha recently made some statements about Rahul Gandhi in uh, Kerala, in the Kerala Literature Festival. These were then taken out of context and everybody said, Arey, look at him, he's questioning. Uh, so we are on all sides, we're rushing to label. It's there, not happening there, from one side. There is competitive intolerance. There is competitive intolerance. That's what I said. We are not willing to talk to each other, we talk at each other. And okay. once you start talking at each other, then where is the space for dialogue? This country's greatest contribution, Namita, is the notion of Savvad. This is the country of Savvad. I must be able to talk to you, you must be able to talk to me. The great Gokhale, Ranade, Agarkar, Tilak from my state of Maharashtra would have fierce debates against, uh, with each other. Kisi ne kisi ko anti-national kabhi nahi bola. Ye paanch saal ki ab parampara ho gai hai. Tumhe mujhe meri baat achi nahi. You are anti-national. That's where the worry comes from. You're right. Politics is getting into a very, very polarized atmosphere. And then journalism becomes even more difficult to practice in this polarized newsroom atmosphere. Godi media versus what is it called on the other side? Secular, liptard, prestitute. Secular, liptard. Kitne naam Call it whatever you want. Okay. Urban Naksar. Urban Naksar. I do want to keep some time for audience question, but I, I, I have a last question for Sachin before I open this up. And Sachin, we're talking about this, you know, we've come to this very sorry situation in a very short while. You know, this, this, this intolerance, this inability to listen to each other, uh, it's never happened in my memory. Is there a way that we can reclaim that lost space? You know, I'm not as pessimist as uh, Rajdeep is. You know, there is a phase in every country's destiny. There are governments, there are leaders, good and bad. But our country, our populace, our, our history, our tradition, our culture, our democracy, I think is fairly strong to withstand almost any disruptions. You know, Rajdeep mentioned about the emergency. That did happen. And people of India punished Indira Gandhiji for what they think was wrong. And they elected her in 1980. You learn from experiences. I think the current phase is not for all times to come. But there has to be checks and balances. There has to be course correction. And we, the people of India, like our constitution says, we, the people of India, are more responsible than just one individual or one government. So we've got to make that ecosystem amiable, flexible, take the right path. 21st century belongs to this country. But we must be able to contribute positively, become stakeholders, not by shunning its away, not by finger pointing, by name calling, by criticizing, by acrimony, by fighting, by venom, by criticism. That's not the positive way. Young people have so much to contribute. I think the political landscape will not remain what we see today forever. But we've got to be able to move forward and effect and bring about that change. It's going to happen. I really am quite positive. You know, it's when you see the newspapers, you see election results, you see this and that, and I hear all this on television. 
I don't get demotivated. I really think we have a great future, but we've got to be positive and keep checking people who should be made accountable. Once you keep doing that, we'll find the right way forward. Thank you for listening to Jepper Bites. If you liked this episode, please subscribe to our show on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this. Jepper Bites is a Launchora production. Producers of Story Talking with Laksh, The Visionary Podcast, Jazz India Circuit Podcast, Poetry Darbar, and most recently, Play Me Life. All our shows are available on all major podcast apps. Once again, I'm your host, Laksh Datta, and thank you for listening. Thank you.